Welcome to the Firearms Trainers Podcast brought to you by XS Sites, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I'm your host, Rob Beckman, and today we'll be talking about shooting advice from an Olympic shooter. We bring this podcast support in the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor out there in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at the FTA, the Firearms Trainers Association. Visit their website at ftaprotect.com and learn more about their instructor coverage they offer and their competitive pricing. Receive a special 10% off on your policy by entering promo code FTP10 at checkout. This episode is brought to you by NAG Tactical. As instructors, our students are always asking us what gear we use. I always tell them I use NAG Tactical. Do you know that NAG Tactical offers several designs, each with extreme comfort for all-day carry? The Revenant and Professional holsters have a patented tuckable design, adjustable cant, and secure twist release. My personal favorite is the KO-1. It is an all-kydex appendix holster that I can carry all day in comfort. All of N8's holsters come with a two-week try guarantee and a lifetime warranty even on the clip. Remember to check out their Flex Mag Carrier also. It has a three-layer comfort backer and will accommodate several sizes of the magazines. Shop at n8tactical.com to find your next holster. That's the letter N, the number eight, tactical.com. Today, we are joined by Gabby Franco, who is an Olympian and competitive shooter. Welcome, Gabby. How are things going today? Very good, Rob. Thank you for inviting me. For everybody who's listening, I have to say something. So Rob said, Gabby, I want you to get in my podcast. It's a Zoom call. So I'm thinking, Zoom? Let me, you know, put all the, <laughs> put my shirt my makeup on, get ready. And then he says, um, don't worry about it. It's just going to be audio. I'm like, I'm such a girl. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Most of the guys that have been on, I haven't really had work. They haven't really worried about uh, hair and different things like that. But yes, uh, she looks very, very good tonight <laughs> for those people that um, don't see the picture. And I will attest to that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Gabby, we really appreciate you coming on because I think as an Olympic shooter, uh, you've got some experiences there on training mm -hmm. that is extremely uh, unique uh, from a training perspective. Plus, you're a competitive shooter, which means that you're not only, you know, have competed in the Olympics uh, some, some years back, but you've also gone along and continued improving yourself. And, and you're a trainer by, by also. So, you know, we're looking for some of those uh, tips and tricks that you can share with our audience today. And I think the first thing to think about, you know, the, in the back of my mind, when you're t thinking about an Olympian as yourself is how did you get started in that, <laughs> to have that basis to be that well, uh, you know, or that good as a shooter to make it to the Olympics, because I've seen some of them shoot and they are amazing to watch them shoot. That's all I can say. Yes. Well, the first thing is dedication. That dedication didn't come up right away. I was a young girl, I was 11 years old when I started shooting. And uh, I, uh, my dad was the one who brought my sisters and I to the gun range first. Uh, and the reason for that was that he learned that the range had a junior, Olympic junior shooting team. So he was like, oh, I have three girls at home and the only girl. So he was like, they're gonna be shooters. And we just started shooting, and I was the, the one who dedicated the most. Uh, my sisters deviated, and, you know, rightfully so, you know, their careers, a university and everything. I was in the university, too, but my passion was at the range. I trained about uh, six days a week, 
trained Tuesday through Sunday. Mondays, I did not train because the range was closed. And I trained about <clears throat> four to five hours, depends, a day. And the weekends, I'll train obviously more because I have more time. So I did that for a long time. Uh, I would say for a good six years uh, out of the 10 years I did, 10, 12, 11 years I did Olympic shooting. Uh, I would say like that dedicated, I dedicated so much so that my, I didn't even go to my high school graduation. Ooh. And well, yeah, even while my, you know, friends were in that mode of drinking and partying, it would be like, Abby, you know, you don't come, you don't come with us. I was like, well, I'm training to go to Germany <laughs> or I'm training to go to Australia. So uh, the, the shooting sports at that age gave me a sense of not only responsibility because I was uh, using firearms, uh, which a lot of responsibility was put in my hands at, at young age, but also the accountability that is not things don't happen just because there's not a magic wand to make you better there's no a better a great instructor is going to make you the best best of the world if you don't put the effort if you don't put the hours if you don't put the time if you don't have that grit to say well you know what um i want to do this i want to i want to see how good i can be by doing this so, yeah, Olympic shooting was a great, I mean, one of the greatest things that um, my dad could put me in as a, as a young person. Mm -hmm. sure. you, you said your dad took you to the shooting range to begin with, and I'm sure, you know, he went along and here's how, here's how I learned how to shoot, which got you interested into it. But at what point did you start having a trainer? Um, come along and suggest to Gabby, you know, maybe you should hold, hold it a little differently or, or maybe we need to adjust the sights a little bit differently to, to be more, you know, more, uh, effective for you. Uh, pretty much from the beginning. Okay. Um, yeah, pretty much from the beginning, my dad introduced us there. They had already a team, uh, and the person who was kind of coaching, he was an, uh, um, uh, uh, advanced shooter in air pistol. That's what I used to do. And he basically, you know, volunteered to coach all these children until we became more proficient and there was some more of a seriousness of the team. And that's when the seed, the state or the city per se, uh, I would say, no, I want to take that back. The association, the club, the shooting club pushed to bring a in actual instructor, a, a more uh, with credentials per se, you know. So it was a, a, an instructor from another country, and uh, he came Hispanic, and he came and coached me all the way to, you know, pass the Olympics and all that. I actually had two instructors. I had my instructor who was part of the state team, and another instructor who was part of the when I became part of the national team. So lucky for me, uh, uh, Otar, he was, he used, he used to be, he passed away a long time ago, but he used to be uh, from the Republic of Georgia. He was, um, he used to be the coach of Guillermo, which was the other coach. So lucky for me because both instructors have the same philosophy, sort of, mm -hmm. the same uh, techniques, different type of teaching, very, um, you know, I would say drastic, but very clear 
where each one stand and the, and the way they presented their information and how they demanded uh, you to perf- me to perform. Um, so it was very, very interesting having two different instructors with different perspectives and different ideas. Were they coaching at the same time? Not exactly. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Wonder, no, wonder no. How, that, how that would work out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Guillermo, as a Hispanic, he was uh, very, you know, kind of almost like a father. You know, you can imagine I probably saw him more than even my dad. You know, I came from school and right there to the range. So Guillermo, as a Hispanic, very affectionate, like a father figure almost. Uh, very sweet when he coached me. Otar, on the other hand, he was very rigid. And in Otar, uh, he, who was the instructor for the national team, I would see him a uh, few times in a year. Or I would go to the capital, Venezuela's capital, Caracas, and I would train for him or in some other states. So I wouldn't see him all the time, but he's, oh, and I would travel internationally with him, though. So he was very direct. Uh, there was no sugar coating. There was no such a thing as, oh, you got, you won gold medals, for instance. More than once, I mean, a very, in the, you know, in a, na- in a national championship, I would have probably won a medal, gold medal. But if I didn't shoot at my standards or above, he would not look at me. Mm. And he would say, why? And I'll never forget that because, I was happy. You know, I won the medal. He was like, why are you happy? Because you shot less, worse than everyone else. So he had a different approach. Not only uh, he had a different approach in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had a different approach in coaching. Um, and oh, for instance, for example, he would come up to me pre- preparing for uh the Pan American Games in 1999 or to the Olympic Games. And even though it was air pistol, but there was a lot of physical training, a lot of hours shooting. And it was exhausting no matter what. And he would never tell me, oh, you know, uh, if you're tired, you know, that's fine. He would just tell me, he would say, so you're, you're done. You don't want to keep on doing what I'm telling you to do. And he would say, that's fine. Remember that you have a list of girls waiting for your spot. That's all he needed to say. Mm -hmm. And I was like, "Ah," and I'll get back to work. So it was different, different approaches. And I'm very thankful for both. (laughs) How how many hours a day when you were uh, training for the Olympics, were you training? Well, by that time I was fully dedicated to that you know, for a few months. So I, uh, I, 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 we even moved to, for a month to Italy. I trained in Italy for about a month, came back and I would say about six hours a day between drop firing and shooting. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of, a lot of work. Time seeing you know, six or seven days a week. That's a lot, lot of dedication there. <laughs> yeah. Doing yeah, that. yeah. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately didn't get me the medal. <laughs> Man, the effort was there. I, you know, being in that, in that arena of the Olympic games, 
I I thought I was fully mentally prepared, but it was a different world. <laughs> yeah, you've got you've got um, in the top shooters in the world, which uh, means that you know you've gone from being maybe the top in your country to you know maybe in the top ten of the world, maybe. Yeah. And that you know that's that's where you really find out you know who's got the mental aptitude and the ability to go the distance. Um, but, but, but on that, on that, but on that, on that sense, let me tell you a story. And I think it's important to put this in perspective because many times we, we see that as what you're saying, you know, uh, if you're not in the top means that you're not as good as the other ones or those who are in the top means that they are very great, great than the other ones. So, um, and, and I think people need to put that in perspective because in 2004, yeah, at the Olympic Games in Athens, I didn't go because I was Olympic hope for Athens 2004, but that's when I decided to move to the United States. So I left everything behind to come to the U.S. But in 2004, there's a girl, a shooter, female shooter. Her name is Tao Luna. And she got, I don't know, like, 39th place, 42nd place, something like that. I need to look it up again. But, you know, she was down there. And she shot, you know, fairly, but not necessarily, obviously not for the, for the top medal. And so most people who see that, that see that score, who see that her place, they would say, oh, she's not that good, right? She's just down there by the bottom, right? I think she was, she was in like the five from the bottom, you know, or something like that. Mm -hmm. Well, happens to be that the same girl, Tao Luna, was the Olympic record and the, and the Olympics in Sydney 2000. And she was the gold medalist. Mm -hmm. So that's when you say, where is, what is it? Does that makes her less capable? Does that makes her less best shooter? Does that makes her a failure? You know what I mean? Make, making it Olympics is uh, a big success in my, my book. And when you, one of the things I've, uh, you know, when you look at the, what the span of the scores are, you know, you're not talking a large distance between them. You're talking, you know, a couple points between first and last place because of uh, how good everybody is. It's kind of like if you watch uh, golf and you see everybody that is, you know, three under, you know, they, they win the tournament, but then even the guys that are at the end, they're 10 over. Well, guess what? They're shooting probably 40, 50 strokes better than I ever could. And, you know, it just goes to show you the level they're competing at how close uh, their scores really are from top to bottom, which is, uh, which is really neat to need to realize. And it's neat to go along and, you know, think about it because I'll never be at the Olympics. I know that. <laughs> oh, hey, and, and I, yeah. Oh, you have any secrets on that training, uh, that you can pass on to our instructors as far as how, you know, if, if somebody came to you and said, you know, what's one or two things that I could tell my students that would help them improve their shooting? Um, what, what would those, those kind of things be? Well, one of the things I, those of who have taken training with me know that some say that I'm the Zen of shooting because I talk a lot about the mental aspect. And some others say I'm like a sweet and sour 
the perfect combination because I'm tough and, 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 and very, you know, I can say things nicely too. Mm-hmm. But the first thing I can tell people is don't sugarcoat your own shooting per se. People talk a lot about, oh, I'm grouping. Oh, I'm just grouping well. Fo- stop focusing on the result. I see shooting like a math, and I like math. I like science. I see shooting like a, a mathematical equation. If you are in calculus and physics, the teacher can tell you the result. They can tell you, solve this problem. And you resolve you, at the end, you should have 20. This is the same thing as a, as a shooting. You know, your result should be a bullseye, for instance. You should shoot in the middle. You know what should be. But should you focus on that bullseye? Should you focus on that end result 20 in the mathematical equation? No, you focus on the process. In math, you make sure that every symbol, every every aspect, every number, you are to the T, everything works fine. And automatically, that's going to end into that result. Same thing in shooting. People focus so much in the paper that they forget that they are the who made it. If you don't fix, if you don't think, if you don't try to figure it out what you're doing before you even see the target, then what are you doing? You're not, you're not doing it right. You're going to be what I call chasing shots. Oh, I shot low. Now what happened? I shot left. No, because you could have, if you pay attention to your mathematical equation, you solve that problem. If you pay attention to that process, you can figure it out that after two, three shots, hey, you know what? Guess what? The sights of my gun moved because I had an ideal trigger press. My side alignment made sure that my side, I was focused on my front side, my rear side. Everything was great. And you make those confirmation after two, three shots. You have a small tight group. Then, then you can make adjustments. Not one shot at a time. And so what I tell people is focus on your process. Focus on the fundamentals. Whether you're shooting fast or slow. And that's a matter. Whether you shoot fast or slow. And that comes also with draft firing. Understanding you know, how your, you know, what your tool, your firearm, your grip, um, everything that involved you, the, the actual activity of shooting. Most of my, 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 my activity in Olympic shooting, most of it was dry firing. You know, I needed to get used to that trigger press. I needed to get used to how my side picture looked. Uh, that movement, getting used to the movement. Another thing I tell people is that, and I, and I talk a lot about the mental spot st- uh, stuff, the mental aspect of shooting because it fascinates me. Fascinates me how that, well, even that, what I said before, that comes from that, how you perceive that information. But, you know, we have the tendency of, or most people, new shooters particularly, they have the tendency of, Seeing that the movement of the target, they see when they are aiming, right? They see like a big movement. And they say, oh, but my gun moves a lot. And what they're forgetting is that that's their perception. 
their their target, the reason why there's a lot of movement, or seems like there's a lot of movement, is because the target is far away, is fixed, and looks small. But if they bring the target forward and compare the size of the target to the size of the size of their gun, they realize the target's way bigger. So even if that movement seems like big, as long as that movement is around, it's circling around that center of the target, guess what? You're going to hit the center of the target. The problem is when people start chasing the center of the target. Mm-hmm. Let the process flow. Let it as you're looking your sights, as you're looking, you're pressing. You don't have to be in that moment. Your intention is to shoot. Period. I mean, if you're aiming the target and your, your intention is to shoot, the problem is that many people try to be in control of when that round is going to leave the gun. And that is the first of the issues that makes them jerk the trigger. Mm-hmm. Instead of getting the keeping the sights on the target and realizing they can't hold it steady the whole time. No. There's no, there's, I mean, think about it. We, there's no way they can hold it steady all the whole time. Mm-hmm. There's no way you might, when people tell me, oh, I just want to make a hole. My idea of making a tie hole, tiny hole is making a group of shots so close to each other that makes a tiny hole. Okay, why? Because you have a heart rate. You cannot control that. You even if you hold your breath, you have intestines. They're moving. You probably just people just probably grab lunch or or they're hungry or just because we're humans, we are part of energy. We move. And if you move means means that you're alive. Therefore, need to get used to that movement. Mm -hmm. If you twitch your toes or something else like that, that's going (laughs) to. That could potentially move, move where you are aiming at and such. And that's a very good point there. Very good point. I, I definitely have to, uh, think about that in my own shooting and also, uh, some of the student <laughs> shooters about, um, you know, getting them to focus on, uh, you know, those basics and be able to be able to apply those, uh, consistently so they can make that jagged, um, single shot hole. So, and, and I say this as an instructor and I know many instructors are listening um, and I, that's why I also like to teach instructors because many times they think that they are the ones who have to tell the students what's wrong. And I think that's wrong right there. I think there has to be a feedback, a clear feedback between the student and the instructor. The reason for that is I can, as an instructor, I cannot see through the eyes of the shooter. I cannot feel through their finger. So they need to be aware of what they're doing for me to help them. But if they're not aware, if they're like, oh, well, uh, I don't know. Um, I think so. Then that is my, my best analogy. It's like if you go to the doctor and you're sick, right? You feel sick and you tell the doctor doctor please i need you to fix me i need you to help me feel better and the doctor said okay perfect what's wrong where you know you have pain where is the pain and you say 
um, I don't know. <laughs> and the doctor's like, okay, well, <laughs> you know, did you fall? Eh, well, I think so. So how instructors pretend to be the saviors if the, the student doesn't give a clear, concise feedback? And that's okay if they don't know. But what the instructor should do in that case is encourage the, 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 the student to pay more attention. In that case, focus on one aspect at a time instead of trying to make them do 20 things at a time. Draw, mag change, and then roll over and go in your knees and disappear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now tell me, now tell me, why do you, why was that shot there low left? The, the student is like, wow, I don't know. I was so focused on so many things. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I know I've, I've coached many instructors through, you know, when they're talking to their students, you know, one thing at a time, because I think you know, back to the psychological side of things, if you go along and tell a person who's already under stress because they're performing a task they're not used to, and you give them five things to do, mm-hmm. they're probably going to do not none of those five things properly. But if you can right. go along, give them one thing to do, then all of a sudden it does make sense to them about, you know, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go along and, and focus on my grip this time, make sure that I've got good pressure between my hands and then press the trigger. And then once you see, once they feel like good, good grip, then you can uh, transition to, you know, what do your sights look like? You know, how, how does that trigger feel as you're pressing it back? Uh, those types of things. And before you know it, you get through all the, all five things you've noticed that they haven't done properly. But to your point, they've actually gone and realized how to self-diagnose, which let's face it. Most of the time we teach classes in one day. If we can go along and teach them how to self-diagnose, they'll get more out of our class than if we just told them, well, you know, don't slap the trigger. Don't do this. Don't do that. They'll walk away. And if they don't understand what we were telling them, they're going to go right back and do the same thing all over again. The next day, if they go and I'll oh, wait a minute, you know, Gabby told me not to do it this way and to try to go and do this, think about this. And all of a sudden, okay, like, hey, I'm shooting better that, you know, that would mean that good, good learning and take uh, training is taking place. Right. And, and the best part of it is that Students that learned, that feel them now, they get it. They want, they become hungry for more knowledge. Don't like, oh, now I want to learn more. You know, hey, Rob, please give me a call. I mean, mm-hmm. I need a more training. I got this. I need to get better. So, you know, at the end of the day, everybody gets, uh, it's beneficial for everybody. But, and that's the part where the instructor needs to focus on letting the student accept that feedback, you know, mm-hmm. and identify when the feedback is not ideal and find ways to teach the student to be more aware. Yeah. One thing I always go along and uh, try to uh, teach my students and instructors is the old adage that smooth is fast or fast is smooth, smooth is fast. And that's if they can go along and go through a draw, go through a good shot and do everything in a nice smooth motion, maybe not the fastest, they're doing it the proper way. That's easy to speed up for them versus if they do it really fast, then they're not doing anything properly because they're not in control. 
you know, if they're in control, then they can take it and speed it up and be a faster competitive shooter or a faster defensive shooter. But, um, you know, think about being, you know, fast is smooth and then smooth is fast. It'll, it uh, really does work out. Cause I've noticed, uh, when I'm doing my own self-diagnostics, I slow down and I start feeling, okay, what does it, what am I feeling as I'm drawing, as I'm pushing out on target and, uh, you know, I'm putting my finger on the trigger, you know, what am I feeling each one of those times? And after doing it a couple of times, I can go back to my normal speed, but the only way I can self-diagnose is doing it to the point that I can say, okay, I got a good grip bringing it up, rotating, pushing out, you know, I can feel right. I got a good grip, all the, all those basics that we know, but we've also got to make sure we're executing properly in order to, you know, in order to be able to uh, hit the target that we're aiming at. Right. For sure. Definitely. That's great. Well, Hey Gabby, great <laughs> information for um, instructors and such, but here's one last question for you. What's sure. your one advice to instructors when that it comes to that it can make them better do you, do you, ha, do you have any uh you said you had you know two different instructors when you're olympian um is is it better being the unflexible kind or better being <laughs> the uh you know soft and sweet kind of guy <laughs> i think it's best a combination of both i you know people who have trained with me i don't sugarcoat things i think uh, as an instructor um as a person who values their time and their success, uh, I don't do their, I, I would do a disservice if I say, okay, yeah, you know, you're shooting all right, you know, but you'll be, you'll be fine. <laughs> it will be a disservice. I would say, I would, I would probably don't say, hey, you suck, <laughs> but <laughs> I would probably say, hey, you know what? These are the things that you need to work on. And this is, what you need to start doing. I mm. give them a plan of action. I think it's not enough to tell people, hey, you're anticipating. Hey, you're jerking the trigger. Hey, you're not looking at your sides. No, give them a plan of action. Give them like a map. You know, your end goal is to shoot good, but how do I get there? Okay, well, dry fire, but this is how you need to press the trigger. This is how you need to look at the sides. This is how you need to grip the gun. Oh, and, and, and give them a little, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to develop a whole training plan for them, but you can say, hey, you know what? Let me write something for you, please. 15, 15 minutes a day, do this for me. Focus on your side and your, and your trigger. 15 minutes, people would say, okay, that's not too bad, but I guarantee you next time you see them, they're going to be much better, you know, mm -hmm. or something along those lines. So, you know, as an instructor, I think our, our, our goal doesn't end when the last fire is shot with a student, I think it's the journey. It's a journey that they know, they feel that you, they have your support. And in, in, in at the same time, the instructor feels like, okay, I gave my best to the student. So it's a feedback of reward, of giving. It's like everybody feels good, did good. And uh, we go home safely and happy. Yeah, I really like your thought of uh, a formula because it really shooting really does kind of come down to, you know, proper grip, stance, trigger, press, side alignments, uh, all those things kind of come together for you to get the to get the answer that you're aiming for, you know, and those are those bullseye shots and things like that, whether it's your Olympian competing or whether you're a defensive shooter, you know, in a defensive situation, um, all those things got to come together for you to be successful. 
Definitely. I think, you know, um, and, you know, people say how many steps are to make a perfect. The fundamentals are simple. We are the ones to make the complicated. So keep it simple. Keep your process as simple as possible and, and just do it. Trust the process. The more you start thinking, oh, but this works for me. Oh, but this, you know, the moment you start switching things around that and you start deviating too much, unless obviously there are circumstances, you know, people have carpal tunnel or surgery and stuff like that. Well, there's uh, instances, but for the most part, keep it simple. Follow the technique, the same. And this is the same technique have been good for everybody for decades. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Techniques are not recently invented or created from books from the 40s, 50s. (laughs) You can find about how to, or even older, how to make a a good shot. Yeah. Well, that's a great uh, uh, transition over into our next question. Who would be a good uh, influential instructor or book that you would recommend the instructors that are listening that they might want to take a class from or pick up their book and read? Well, for those of you who are listening, uh, some of you know, some of you don't, I am a USPSA shooter. That's pretty much what I'm competing right now. So I have this morning, I just opened this book. (laughs) <laughs> and it's about yes, and it's about draft firing, and it's by Steve Steve Anderson, and the book is Refinement and Repetition. Uh, very good book. Whether you are in the competitive world or not, anybody can benefit from this book. You do it for draft firing or to improve speed, your your ac- speed and accuracy, because USPSA, the sport's about speed and accuracy. And Steve Anderson, I mean, he's well-known in the in the industry, great instructor, great shooter, and, you know, highly recommended. Great. Super. Um, nobody's recommended him yet, but I've, I know him from the industry and different books that he's put out. In the, and I can definitely say he is uh, one of the uh, minds that are in the shooting industry that really helps uh, you wrap your head around what you're trying to do and the smaller the formula part of things as you said you know it gives gives you the basics of the formulas what you should be doing and uh he's yeah i know he's a big proponent of dry firing you know especially in these days when we when we've got ammo shortages and things (laughs) um Dry firing could be very advantageous because you get a lot of the benefit. You just don't have the bang with it, which uh, the bang is the stuff that's costing a lot of money these days. Yes, yes. Dry firing, you know, like everything. What people need to pay attention is you are adding repetitions from your working memory to your long-term memory. So if you're doing your repetitions, you're doing your dry firing, you know, start slow, making sure the process is good. And little by little, speed it up and make sure that that repetition that you are putting in your long-term memory is a good one. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> ooh. <laughs> yes, definitely. Well, Gabby, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, where can instructors find more information about you or contacting you if they're interested in uh, taking your class or having you come to one of their classes? Well, they can go to gabbyfranco.com. It's G A B B Y. F like Fox, R-A-N-C-O.com. Uh, I have a book. It's on Amazon also. It's called Troubleshooting, Mastering Your Pistol Marksmanship. 
Uh, and, you know, for those of you who are instructor and listening, if you are interested, I also give uh, discounts for instructor, very, very good discount for instructors. If you want to use it and probably give it as a, you know, including in your price for your instructors may be beneficial. Also, you give something else to them that they may value. Uh, and so, you know, my social media, I mean, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, so, yeah. Great. Well, I'll include links to all those in our show notes as always. And uh, again, really appreciate you taking the time to give some of your uh, great advice to the instructors because you are the first guest that has talked about a mathematical formula and uh, <laughs> it, it makes sense to me, you know, as you explained it, it does make sense because everything I've told my students in the past have pretty much been a uh, mathematical formula. I just haven't called it a mathematical formula. So that's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like math. I remember my calculus classes. I know it may sound crazy. I like physics and all that stuff. And at the end, that's all it is. You know, you know what you want to get, but you need to work on the process. Most definitely. Most definitely. That's a wrap for this episode. And we have a few requests. Visit podcast.concealedcarry.com to enter our weekly prize giveaway. Remember, you can't win without entering and your entries do not carry over from week to week. This week's winner is Gregory S., and he won a Draw Like a Pro DVD. Remember to check out the Guardian Conference on September 17th and 19th in Oklahoma City for an opportunity to take training from guests we've had on this podcast before to improve yourself and also the training you offer your students. Check out our website and search our over 100 episodes covering topics for trainers from social media to marketing to firearms training. Share this episode on social media. Encourage others to listen subscribe. If you have any ideas for new episodes, suggestions on guests to have, or feedback, please email me at ftp at concealedcarry.com. Visit all our sponsors, especially the Firearms Trainers Association at ftaprotect.com and check out their instructor insurance. Being a responsible instructor means having instructor insurance. Remember to use promo code FTP10 for 10% off at checkout. We bring this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Stay safe, everyone. Concealed Carry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.